Hello, this is Dr. Shani Fox, and today we'll be mapping fear on the 15-Minute Matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Shawnee Fox. Dr. Shawnee helps cancer survivors get back in charge of their health and rebuild their confidence so they can make the most of their new chance at life. Her unique background as both naturopathic physician and certified life mastery coach powerfully supports survivors in learning to trust their bodies again, whether in remission or living with cancer, and to create a life filled with hope, joy, and peace of mind. Dr. Shawnee is the author of the Cancer Survivors Fear First Aid Kit and is a popular speaker, radio guest, and a workshop leader for survivor communities. She's been published in the Huffington Post, the Natural Medicine Journal, and Breast Cancer Wellness Magazine. I'm super excited to introduce you to Dr. Shawnee. Dr. Shani, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm glad to be here, Andrea. I'm super excited to talk to you about this subject, the subject of fear, because I think it's one that all of our patients are going through when they receive a new diagnosis or they're not sure what to do with the signs and symptoms they're suffering from. How do you see fear appear in your practice and with the patients that you serve? My practice is 100% dedicated to cancer patients and survivors. Mm -hmm. And where I see fear the most is the fear of cancer recurrence. Mm. It's a well-documented phenomenon among survivors. About 70%, 70% are estimated to have persistent fear about the recurrence of their cancer. And it doesn't even matter what kind of cancer they had or what the degree of it was, the stage it was. It's not really even proportional to that. It's just a widespread side effect that we see. In fact, it's probably the most common side effect at 70% of any kind of cancer. It's interesting to think about the fear of recurrence. I'm wondering what you found and what the research shows regarding what the fear is about. Like when we say it's about recurrence, is it about dying? Is it about going through the treatment again because the treatment is so harsh? Is it about leaving children, family? Is there any documentation about the details of that fear? Interestingly, in the research that I've done, I haven't so much seen a breakdown of what the fear is about beyond fear of cancer recurrence. It's a Mm -hmm. well-known and well-used term. If I ask my patients about that, then what they'll say, some of them certainly it has to do with dying, no, no question about that. And they could even be in good health in saying that. But I think even more than that, it's about suffering. Mm-hmm. And that may be physical suffering. It may be, as you mentioned, suffering of the people close to them. So suffering in its various forms, I think, is what the crux of it is for most people that I work with. Yeah, it's so interesting when we do break that down, because I think that we hold fear in our bodies in ways that we haven't articulated. And it's just like fear, right? It's 
it's fear yes. of even the unknown. Mm -hmm. I've encountered this in my life, certainly with my husband's cancer. What does it look like to die of a brain tumor? But even in positive things in my life, like my son applying to college, what mm -hmm. does it look like when somebody else has control of the decision? And I think that's what it must feel like. It's this fear that we're also no longer in control. I would agree with that. And you know, if you think about it, we do not love uncertainty in this culture. No. We really like to be in control. We like to have as clear a picture as we can of the probable outcome. Of course, life is not like that, but that's kind of the cultural way we're trained. So when things get too uncertain, yes, that's exactly it, that people are very concerned about the uncertainty and the lack of control. I often kind of joke with myself, how many times do I need to learn the lesson? that I have no control and it's like yes. repeatedly. The answer is repeatedly. But I'll yes. ask myself, how many times do I need to learn this lesson? So if we look at the physiological impact of fear, is there a place where it sits in the body? Is there a connection to, let's say, what we would see with certain symptoms like in the GI tract that you've seen to be most common? Yes. In terms of what the person perceives in themselves, then it can look like a lot of different things, but there are most definitely some physical symptoms that I have seen many times go along with this. I've had people who had persistent headaches. I've had people certainly with gastrointestinal systems, the emotional end of it. I've had people with recurrent panic attacks mm. about this. So it shows in a multitude of ways, probably very much overlapping how anxiety shows up in general in terms of its physical ramifications. If we go back to this topic of cancer, are there any connections like in the neuropsychoimmunology realm between fear and the function of the immune system? Yes, there are. And this is documented. When a person is in high anxiety of any kind, fear would be one form of that anxiety, of course, then you can get a on your cortisol curve. And flattened cortisol curves yeah. are actually connected in research to poorer disease-free survival and greater mortality. They've seen that in metastatic breast cancer patients. They've seen that in lung cancer patients. So yes, that is documented to the extent that fear affects our physiological fear yeah. handling mechanisms. Then yes, it does have some very significant ramifications in terms of our ability to withstand the disease. When we look at the central part of the functional nutrition matrix, the soup, if you will, is there anything else that we didn't discuss that's connected to fear, either an instigator for the fear or being impacted by I fear? Well, I can use an example I just ran into yesterday. I, yeah. had, I, was, I was speaking to a client who is a survivor of a female reproductive cancer, and the endometrial cancer. So she had significant surgery and treatment in that area. She's had a lot of pain since the surgery. And, you know, all checkups have discovered nothing particularly wrong. It's not something that shows very much in labs or on the surface. But what she's noticing now as we work together is that when she is anxious, the pain is a good deal worse. Mm. So it does tend to exacerbate perhaps existing symptoms, including pain. Right. When we think about the kind of neurochemical milieu, that tightening is impacting so much more in the body. 
let's talk a little bit about how you address fear with your patient population. I know you have some beautiful ways of doing this. Can you walk us through some of the go-tos when we see people riddled with fear? Certainly. I think in alignment with most of natural medicine, I have a short-term plan and a long-term plan. People come in, sometimes they're suffering, symptoms or whatever. So we want to give them some relief if we can, while not masking the long-term problem. In the short term, one of the most beautiful things to start with really is just simply breathing. It sounds almost too simple to be true, but this very same client I just spoke about finds that when she does some deep breathing, the edge comes off her pain right away. It's not a be all and end all, but it definitely helps with the level of pain and certainly, of course, then gives her more time to think or decide what she wants to do next. And in the short term, again, we have tools that, well, for example, gratitude, you know, I'll I'll have people practice their gratitude, do gratitude journals, whatever it takes, because of the simple fact that gratitude is literally healthy emotion and we can't produce the same hormones that produce anxiety and the same hormones that produce well-being like when we're in gratitude at the same time you know it's either or right so switching the state of the nervous system and therefore the hormones that we respond with gratitude is not something we have to learn to do we all know how to do it and so this would be another short-term tool that i help people call on even in the moment if they're having you know a bit of panic about something just let's get present right now what am i grateful for right in this minute because chances are in this moment i'm actually fine I'm just imagining scenarios that aren't fine. So bringing yourself back to the present, gratitude is a great way to do that. So we get real practiced in that. So in terms of short-term tools, those would be two examples. In the longer term, now, of course, we're talking root causes. So we have to look at a few things. Number one, why are we so prone to get into fear of thinking in the first place? And of course, it's not hard to see why. I mean, our society, if you look at the news, we can see that we're very attracted to worst case scenarios and we tune in regularly to them. And so we're kind of trained to look for the worst and to be in caution a lot by various outside influences. So it's a matter of, in the long term, helping a person come back to their internal locus of control. You know, what's really true for me in this moment, no matter what everybody or anything is saying out there. Right. That's, in general, a large issue after cancer, because the typical experience is that people get diagnosed, and then they basically have to assign their bodies over to a system, which is going to do whatever it's going to do. It's important, but it takes away, you know, people's control. Exactly. Exactly. the decisions are all being made for you. Yeah. So even people who are very centered before that process began have often lost their orientation that way by the time it's over. So reinforcement of how do I get back to my, that still small voice within me that knows what's best within me and is making choices from there, not being panicked by everything, you know, every influence that comes along outside of me. I remember when my husband was, before he was diagnosed, but they did a scan of his brain and they put the port in to do the CT scan scan. And the moment that really was pivotal for him that he then addressed through some of his EMDR therapies, working with post-traumatic stress was when he said, are you going to take that port out of my arm? And they said, no, we'll leave it in. And at that moment, he knew that he was their property, that the hospital had access to him. And it was then that peace, that moment that he had to work through of the fear that came up of being somebody else's property. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to describe it, actually. Yeah, that access that they have to your body, it's no longer, I mean, what other time in life are we that accessible to anybody's intervention at any time? And of course, that's going to result in fear. Yes. And the interesting thing is that when the treatment is over, and let's say they take the port out and whatever else 
goes with that. All of a sudden, boom, that access stops just almost within moments. And, you know, the good news is a person may be very well at that point or doing quite well, but all of a sudden, all that support, all the access to information that they had within the system, it just goes away within a moment. And interestingly, that is a great trigger of fear, even more so in some cases Mm. than the original diagnosis. Especially if they've done well through treatment, it then Mm -hmm. becomes and develops this reliance on what was the intervention. Such Mm -hmm. an interesting journey you're holding people through there. What about community? I know you're a big advocate of community and holding people together in the process. Do you see that relationship or interrelationship shift the fear? So this is very interesting. There's a lot of research about community and, you know, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion, not hard to guess, that community is good for survivors. But it's not just being among people or even among other survivors, although there tends to be some comfort in having people to talk to that have been through what you've been through. So that can be helpful in terms of empathy. But the actual progress that a survivor makes in terms of getting out of the fear in particular happens when they feel supported. They have to feel deeply supported. They can't just be in the support group, for example. They have to feel deeply heard and supported. And of course, that's different per every individual, but that actually has to happen before we see positive outcomes in terms of survival and being disease-free. I think that's a really good lesson for all of us here as practitioners. It's one of the things I'm often really highlighting about the work we do as functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioners because we're stepping into a gap in healthcare where there's Mm -hmm. an opportunity to be a real guide for people going through all aspects of their treatment. And it really is about that support and the differences that support can mean in outcomes Mm -hmm. is profound. Is there anything else about fear? Do you see anything with detoxification, with the kidneys, with hydration? That's a really good question. I mean, certainly the better one takes care of one's own health proactively. I think that's another one of those strategies that helps people return their control to themselves. In that sense, it's very helpful when working with a person who's very fearful. In terms of you know specifics to the kidneys, I don't know that I could say that. But right. the other one, of course, that does come up a lot in many situations and particularly where there's emotional instability is exercise and movement. That, of course, is enormously helpful. What I do find is that there's a tendency, of course, to prescribe, let's say, antidepressants to people whose mood is off because of events of the cancer journey, I would say about 50% of the time they don't work. They're not helping. Right. Because it's not addressing those root causes. It's just trying to mask things. Yes. And exactly. And I don't, I don't, if people get, you know, relief from it, I don't blame them. I mean, it's hard to take this. And if it gives them space to get back their control and move forward, I have nothing against them. But what I'm seeing is in fact, they don't work. So exercise, as we know, you know, per literature and everything else, it is actually as effective as those can be. And it also gives a sense of control back to the person. Mm, Such an important topic. Dr. Shani, thank you so much for joining us and really shedding a light on this journey, especially for cancer patients and survivors in dealing with fear throughout the process. My pleasure to be here. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15-Minute Matrix team includes music by my son, Gilbert Nakayama, and Carla Schaefer on sound production, as well as Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook. 
You can visit us and hear more episodes at 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. We'll be sure to drop into your inbox with a super short reminder that a new episode is ready and waiting for you. You also have an open invitation to email us. We want to know who you'd like to hear on the podcast. Maybe that's you and what you'd like to see mapped on the 15 minute matrix. Maybe you have a specialty you want to share. You can email us anytime, day or night at ask at 15 minute matrix.com.